welcome again to the podcast. And last week we had the opportunity to listen to David Bruderick share his story uh, from 35 years of ministry, jumping from youth ministry to Bible college to church planting to small groups and home church to movement leadership uh, and then jumping into uh, his own personal shifts and what had to happen in him but also the discovery of of, uh, uh, tactical shifts into discovery bible studies and thinking strategically if you haven't listened to last week and you've just jumped into this week let me encourage you stop right now go back listen to last week's uh, podcast before you jump into this one because it was so valuable David, thanks once again for being with us uh, for this uh, second podcast. It's really good to have you. Um, last week, you were talking about the roles of outside leaders and inside leaders and um, uh, the, the role of uh, finding and catalyzing leaders. Can I just ask you, what are you looking for? What is the work of God that you're looking for as you jumping into an environment and I kind of describe it as sniffing out apostolic leaders. How do you, how do you, how do you discover people? What's going on in, in you and with your eyes of discernment as you're walking into an environment? And you're saying, ah, this person. I need to invest in this person. Be it a person of peace in a community or a leader that's going to catalyze in a national vision. What are you looking for? What are the characteristics? Yeah, thank you, Dave. So I I would guess there's about 90% of it that is actually remarkably simple and um, can be explained in a sentence. And about 10% of it is an X factor that I just can't wrap my head around. And uh, it's just a, it's just a chemistry. It's just it's just like this is the right thing and this is not the right thing. I don't want to over spiritualize it because I'm not sure it's always just a voice from God or you know it's just this is right or this is wrong. <laughs> you know, it's a fit. Um, but it, essentially, it, it depends on what the objective is. And so um, it starts with if you're going to a home or a group of friends or an existing what we call affinity, a group of people that have something in common with one another, and uh, you're looking to start something there. At that level, it's pretty much uh, what, what Jesus calls in, in Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 10, sorry, the person of peace. And it's the person that welcomes you into that oikos, that relational setting, and says, um, I'm going to welcome you, I'm going to welcome your message, and I'm going to open my setting or my network to you and your message. Now, the, the person of peace must be understood as a person of influence. It's not just the person that's open to you, but there's nobody behind them. Um, then you're doing one-on-one evangelism. The, the person of peace is someone who has some kind of a, a oikos relational network, um, community of some kind, and is willing to open that community to your influence. And um, and they then become that inside leader. And so in basic DMM training, um, which is all over the world now in different contexts, different different formats, but there's a lot of emphasis on that person of peace, which um, is right. Uh, we can talk sometime if we have the, the chance to do that on how that radically shifts from rural to urban environments. But um, the, the principle is pretty similar still. It's that person of influence. And so it begins there. But if you're saying, um, 
I want to reach a people group. Uh, in the rural setting, you'd be looking at a people group. So let's say the Fulani of Africa. Uh, this spans uh, a people group that spans over several nations, a large people group. They have a, a similar culture, similar language, a very deep, rich culture that is passed on from father to son. It's a, it's a strong people group. And you say, I want to I reach the Fulani. Um, and, your, and your goal really is all the Fulani. Then you're looking for somebody who has the ability, capacity, um, freedom, um, uh, you know, stability uh, to, to take on that task. And, and that's a little bit more than the person of peace that will open you up to their household. Uh, you'll find many of those, you find fewer people who can open up the whole Fulani tribe to you. And so uh, that, that's a whole different level of person. So again, it begins with what are you looking for? Uh, if you're wanting to penetrate an affinity in, a, in an urban environment, we talk about affinity versus people group. And so um, this would be how people associate with one another. And it can be a multiplicity of complex things. But let's say you go to a city and you want to reach young kids that are... Um, Surfers or, or, or skateboarders. I know you're on Australia, so surfing is big. Uh, I want to reach the surfing community. Um, that's an affinity, and it could cross over many traditional tribal and even language boundaries sometimes, but it's in a, the commonality is we're, we're on the beach and we're surfing. Then, then that's an affinity. And so that's your goal. I want to reach that affinity. You may start with a person of peace, which is you may go to the beach and find a small group of friends that surf together and find the influencer that helps you influence those friends. That may be a person of peace. But if you want to go broader than that, that person may not be the one that can take it across the entire affinity. So you then would be looking for someone that has the ability to influence that entire affinity. Um, if you go to a city, same thing. You're looking for a city leader. If you're going to a nation and you're saying, I want this nation, um, to see a movement that comes to Christ, then uh, you would look, be looking for someone who has that capacity and potential, and a lot of that there in his capacity to raise funding, to self-fund that, that, that drive to see a, a nation reached. So, so really the beginning is, is what is your target? What is your goal? Um, once you've got that in mind, um, for a person of peace, a person that is a, a head of, an, a, of a household or oikos or small group, you're really looking for a person of influence. That's what you're looking for. But if you go larger, if you're looking for someone um, in, in, let's say, a traditional people group, uh, African people group, you're looking for influence as a big thing. But you're also looking a little bit further for someone with an entrepreneurial Drive someone who has who gets up in the morning and doesn't wait for instructions, someone who has a dream and a vision for that thing that that God's called them to. You're not trying to mob, motivate them to reach that people group. That's already there. So you're looking for that. Uh, same for a city. Same for an affinity. Same for a nation. So you're looking for some very very strong entrepreneurial bent. And people say to me, "How do you find that?" Well, the easiest answer is the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And so you look for it in their history. 
um, you look for it in the stories they tell. And if if you're sitting with someone that says, I want to reach surfers, and um, so I started this um, surfing club, and I started that surfing online page, and I did this, and I did that, and, and all of it failed, it didn't work, but then I started this, and then I started that, and, and this worked, but that didn't work. Then you've got someone with that entrepreneurial bent. So, so you now have got somebody, and if you've got someone of character, stability, and you've got, to, you've got to look at that. You've got to look at integrity. You've got to look at their family situation, how they treat their wife and children. That's, that's just, those basics have got to be in place. Their relationship with God, that's all got to be in place. You've got someone of influence, and you've got someone who's entrepreneurial. Then at that level, you're, you've now found somebody who you could begin to invest in um, for that particular um, affinity, people group, nation, city, whatever it is. It's not easy to find, and so um, sometimes it takes one to find one, and um, sometimes to some degree you've got to be one to find one, <laughs> and so if, if, if you say, I want to reach my city, but you've never been in that role, then I'd say, or I'd want to reach the cities of the world, but you've never been in that role in your own city, my answer would be step into that role into your, in your own city for a while. Because what happens is you learn the language that is very subtle, the innuendos, the body language that speaks to that person. And, and, and that person is attracted to you. And, and th- those things are they're the hidden factors. They're the X factor. Um, so I, I spent uh, many years pastoring in churches. I, I was a church pastor. And so I can sit with a church pastor today and I can step into their world. I can step into their shoes and I can tell the stories and I can speak the language no matter what denomination, no matter what background, because I moved through several, I can speak their language. And there are many ministry people that can't do it because they've never been on that side of the fence. And so they can try and intellectually learn some steps on how to do it. But to some degrees, it takes one to relate to one. Um, and so I would say at every level, I, you know, I, I really would strongly encourage people, if, if you want to move to another country and find people of peace, well, before you do that, find one in your own backyard and, and, and learn those challenges before you cross cultures. Because once you're crossing cultures, you've got no time to learn those challenges. You're trying to learn cross-cultural issues. You're trying to learn language. You're trying to do all those other things. You have no capacity to also be learning those basics. And so um, to some degree, it takes one to, to uh, find one. So today, we, we kind of follow that principle. And so we have a, a global training platform, and we train uh, catalyst city catalysts, people that are catalyzing movements in cities. And our basic principle is um, all our trainers are practicing catalysts uh, because they can relate to the other ones that are that are doing it. So we don't have trainers that are not in, in some way grounded in the thing that they're trying to reproduce. Fantastic. Really, really good. And um, there's, there's really, um, I think, some different levels of leadership that you're talking about here, but also um, 
ways of operating that's very key to to identify um, identifying leaders um, is one very key key um, thing then uh, empowering leaders is is another key idea then multiplying leadership so really identifying the key leader that could be empowered to multiply others um, some of those shifts are, are pretty uh, different in the way we think about stuff um, tell us about how you uh, identify leaders that you think will have capacity to multiply many other leaders and what are some of the key principles that you need to pour into those leaders that uh, will help them not simply plant a group or a stream of groups but identify and multiply to reach a region a city a an area so that's you know you're, you're walking into an area and you go wow here's someone that could actually multiply into many leaders and empower others there's in my head some real shifts that have to happen from um a, an empowerment model an undergirding model and and helping people get rid of barriers um, to to do that, but also vision and and yeah. So I don't know if you have some thoughts around how do you help leaders become multiplying leaders. Yeah, I, I think it it begins with working where God is at work. Um, you know, you you can't put these things into someone if God is not putting these things into someone. It's not going to work. Um, and I've I've tried that. I've tried to play the role of God. I've tried to play the role of the Holy Spirit, and call people into ministry or call people into positions and places that God was not stirring in their hearts, and it always fails. And so um, the the bad news is you can't do it if God's not doing it. Um, the good news is you 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 can always be listening to where God is at work, watching where God is at work, and joining him in his work. That famous statement that Henry Blackaby made famous. And so it really begins with having eyes to see where the Spirit is working, where God is at work with people. Um, you can't create a what we call a champion for the surfer affinity if God hasn't stirred that person to to step into that role. Uh, it, it's not going to happen. And so um, you can cast vision, you can get them to read a hundred books, you, you can't do it. Now, what you can do, and I think the greatest thing we bring to leaders, um, as I've reflected it over the years, we bring many tools and many resources and support systems and help and, you know, all those kinds of things. You know what the greatest thing is that we bring to people? I believe, is a gift of faith. And so um, very often when we come across that leader, what we find is someone who already has a passion. It may not be a refined vision, but it's a passion. They are very, very passionate about reaching that group of people. God has already put that in their heart. And so... Um, a, a lot of what we do today is a discovery process of finding what's in people's hearts. What, what has God stirred in your heart? If the lady next door to me has a passion for street kids, I'm not going to get her to reach business people. It's never going to happen. Uh, she has a passion for street kids. And so often those passions are hidden because 
the church or the mission world has imposed things on them and through guilt and obligation put them in roles that they're not suited for. And so they don't even understand those passions. So we take people through a process of uncovering those passions. Uh, we call it focus. And we take them through this, this, this process of finding that passion and finding that focus. And is this a champion that is going to champion that particular group, affinity, a city, whatever it is? And so God is at work in people's hearts. We have to understand that. And uh, we've got to find that. I think uh, one of the great mistakes in the movement world today is uh, in many ways we've divorced, um, how do I put it, Uh, compassion and care and ministering to brokenness from the gospel. And so we are almost obsessed with let's go make disciples and get them, you know, making disciples and and we're obsessed with getting people to read and obey the Bible, but we pay no attention to the brokenness. And uh, very often the, the key to how God is mobilizing people's hearts is found in the brokenness. So um, people will, will, will say to me, I have a, a, I have a burning desire to reach um, ladies that have been raped in my community. And I watch disciple-maker leaders going, don't worry about that. God will take care of that. You've just got to make disciples. Come and learn my disciple-making system. And, and so people are trying to learn the system in a clinical environment devoid of that passion of brokenness that God has put on their hearts. It'll never work. We've got to embrace the brokenness and the lostness. We have to move towards the brokenness and the lostness if we want to see God break through. And that's the lesson of Luke chapter 10. Jesus says, go in, and he doesn't say, try to convert them. What is it? He says, heal the sick, meet the brokenness. And, and as you meet the brokenness, what, what emerges? People begin to respond to their lostness. They see their need for Christ. And so um, it, it's very important to uncover how God is stirring people's hearts. And often that is uh, phrased as brokenness. And, um, and, 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 and I, am, I am not supportive of a social gospel that, that clinically removes the gospel and just does social work and social action in any way. I, I, I really don't believe that's, that's right at all. I also don't think that we should clinically remove our response to brokenness and try to just, you know, uh, make the gospel almost clinically uh, devoid of any compassion of, of, of people's brokenness. And so it's, a, it's, it's, it's both of these that really uh, come together, the moving towards brokenness and lostness. So very often that's how people would phrase that. They would phrase it as their passion for some level of brokenness. And I'd begin working with that person to help them see how simply feeding people is never going to change anything. But we start maybe with feeding people. Let's embrace the passion that God has on your heart. But in that, we've got to begin making disciples because their eternity is way more important than the temporary challenge that we have. And so we have, we have floods right now in Durban where I am. Massive floods, uh, 500 people died, 30,000 people without homes. Um, 
If I mobilized disciple makers in there and capitalized on that and said, you need Jesus, let's run crusades. No, don't worry about the fact that you have nowhere to sleep, you don't have a home, everything is flooded, you have no food, there's no electricity, there's no water, you're thirsty, you're hungry, you're tired. Don't worry about any of that, you just need to say this prayer, you need to read this uh, DBS with me, You you need to be a disciple. I promise you, Dave, I will be completely ineffective. Um, and and I will self-justify that. And and unfortunately, a lot of people do that. Um, so what are we doing? I'm mobilizing some of our leaders from surrounding areas. They're arriving today, and I'm sending them in with a budget to meet the brokenness. Some of them are builders. I'm saying, go and help rebuild a roof. Go and fix a wall. Go and um, sit with a family who's lost a child. Go and, go and get in the community and meet the brokenness. But as you do that, as you do that, speak to the lostness. And so out of that, find the people of peace. Find the leaders so that we can establish a long-term kingdom work in that, in that region or that area. So very often the way that we identify these people is what God is already doing in their hearts. What God is already stirring in their hearts. Uh, and then, once again, looking at their, their history. Um, how do I find someone who's going to multiply? I find someone who has multiplied. It's really that simple. And so, if I look behind you and I see no one, that's the best predictor of the future. Uh, now, there are some exceptions. I can listen to a person's story and see this person's got incredible potential, but uh, through circumstances or certain things, they haven't released that potential. But in 99.9999, and I can add a whole bunch of nines to that, percent of the cases, if someone doesn't have someone behind them, then the future is going to look the same. And, um, and so I begin to look for a leader of leaders. And that's the best predictor of someone that's going to multiply. Now, they may not know the tools and the tactics of how to multiply disciples or multiply DMM leaders, that may not be there. That doesn't matter. I'm just looking for, is there influence and have they poured their lives into others in some way? If that's there in their past, then I can uh, hone that and, and sharpen that for the future. Yeah, yeah. It's really, really good, David. And just having that um, idea of engaging with brokenness uh, being the catalyst to uh, connection and also authenticity of what does the gospel mean for that people group um, uh, separating it from brokenness almost is a is a false separation isn't it it's really when when you're engaging with brokenness there's a there's a there's a a statement that god wants to make in that brokenness of redemption wholeness healing and and that is the gospel in effect where people start to follow jesus because he is the answer for them in that in that brokenness but then identifying leaders who who uh carry burdens for for areas of brokenness is key and as you start to jump into cities and you start to look at urban environments and you start to look at um um uh affinity groups and the many many layers that slice and dice in a, in an urban environment which i know is close to your heart uh when we're talking about brokenness and uh, ha- helping people engage with brokenness you're not just uh, i'm this is a question you're not simply just um 
talking about engaging with the heroin addicts on the streets. You're looking at all different spheres and and saying, well, what's your burden? Where are you engaging? Uh, do you want to just draw that out and engaging the many affinities in urban environments and catalyzing leaders into those affinity groups? Uh, and what's the whole idea of brokenness that then people can find answers to their lostness in that? Yeah. Yeah, so I've got a great story happened to me this week, and um, I, I just thought of it now. I haven't. I don't think I've told anyone the story. Um, but I've got a guy that works in my garden. He helps me with my garden. Uh, got a, we've got a, a pretty big garden here because it's like a center where we host leaders and they come and there's places for prayer and, and all that. And I don't have the capacity to do it, so I've got a guy helping me in the garden. And uh, we just had a catastrophic flood, and he was really impacted by it. I lost connection with him, couldn't get hold of him, tried. And uh, about two days ago, I got a phone call from him, and he had walked on foot 20 kilometers to a shop to buy some food. And he was calling me to let me know he's okay. And I said, no, 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 wait a second, where are you? Jumped in my car, drove down, um, looked at what he bought. I said, how big is your family? He told me how big the family is. I said, there's no ways that this is enough. And I went and helped him, you know, get some more food and, and got him a bag so he could carry it because he had to walk back because the roads are destroyed and I can't drive. And so, and, and, there's, and there were riots happening. People were stoning cars because they didn't have electricity. So there's, it's just chaos. So, um, you know, I got him all these things and I'm driving back and I'm trying to get as close to this community as I can, driving through uh, people have burnt tires on the road and they, they, there's still some rioting taking place, but I'm getting as close as I possibly can, knowing that I could safely get out again and see my wife that night. And so I, I get as close and, and I'm driving, uh, you know, and, and he looks at me and in a very somber tone, he's, a, he's an older gentleman, he looks at me and he says, you're different. And, and I said, why, why, do you, why do you say that? He says, um, I've worked for many people over my life. He's 50, about 55. He says, I've worked for many people. I've worked in many gardens. He says, no one has ever done this for me. You're different. Why? Now, now there's your opportunity. There's your opportunity to begin a, a disciple-making. So, so when, when my uh, disciple-makers come that are the same culture as him, because we, we, we even communicate in broken ways because he doesn't speak English well, but when the disciple makers come, guess who they're going to go and see? They're going to go and see him. So the brokenness opens the door to the lostness. So you, to your question, when you look at that and you go, uh, a lot of people look at that and say, oh, but that's, that's great with the poor. The, the brokenness is so obvious. What about the wealthy? <laughs> they're not broken. Um, and I, I discovered to my shock that many Christians think that rich people are not broken. They, they really believe that. Um, and, and I said, well, you know, let's just take that to its logical conclusion. What you're basically saying is that uh, money is the solution to mankind's problems. Is that a biblical worldview? <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's not a very biblical worldview. Um, I know a lot of wealthy people. I know a lot of people that, you know, at where you live, in Australia, um, we worked with high-end business people, and we said, well, how are they broken? Well, guess what? They're very broken. Um, their marriages are failing. Their children are on drugs. 
Um, they can't relate to their teenagers. They're struggling with stress. They're about to lose uh, their, their jobs. They're probably more affected emotionally by the swings in the market and the global instability than the poor. Um, they're broken in many ways. Um, relationships is one of the big areas of brokenness. So, so move towards helping people with relationships and you move right into that affinity. But we found a, a, an interesting area of brokenness and it was around purpose. Uh, we found that the the real wealthy um, had got to the sort of the top of the ladder and were asking, is this all there is? I mean, is, is this all there is? I, I got to the top of the ladder and it's empty. What, what's the purpose of my life? What should I? I don't know what to do with my life. What, did my life mean anything? Those are the deep questions that they're asking. And so we began to design a, a process that invited people for dinners around purpose. And this happened in Australia. And, and people began to come and discover purpose. And, and guess what? They began to ask the gospel questions. So tell me about Jesus. Tell me more about this, this gospel. Because we were speaking to the brokenness of their hearts. So there the brokenness wasn't food. There the broken was, brokenness was purpose. Uh, it can be relationships. It can be drug rehab, like you say. It can be what, and, and so a lot of affinities are very broken in many ways. We want to identify the key area of brokenness and also the one that we could actually step towards. It doesn't mean that you can solve all the problems. That's a trap. You can't solve man's fallen condition without Christ. You can't do it. But you can move towards the brokenness and be a solution in a particular area that puts you in close proximity with them and gives you the opportunity to both demonstrate and share uh, the love of Christ to them. Yeah, brilliant. Because when you start to break down a city or a culture and you start to say, well, if I want to reach mums and children, um, that's one thing. But then to be able to identify the the brokenness or the need within those mums and children and be able to then uh, bring in the the connection within those people, um, you, you're starting to open up uh, avenues for God encounters where God can come in to those to that you know, be it um, uh, mums and children, there could be a, just a host of different angles there that that according to the discernment, the context, the need, uh, that leader can really start to engage. And uh, so engaging with that that place of brokenness is just um, is brilliant. That leads us into, uh, you know, God's answer in their lostness um, for, for that person. So... Yeah, re really, really exciting, David. Thank you um, for that um, encouragement. As you're starting to see uh, urban environments, um, and you're engaging with catalyzing leaders to to take be implementers in in different areas of vision. How's it going? What's um what's um what's some of the things that are going well, and what are some of the challenges that you're facing there? I mean, it's like pushing a rock uphill. It, it, it's not simple to, to crack the code of uh, multiplicative movements, multiplying movements in cities. It really is not simple. Um, I'm, I'm probably 15 years down the road of really wrestling and struggling with this, and I feel like an absolute novice. Um, it, it, it really is not simple, and, and many people have tried and give up very quickly. 
Um, I'm, in, I'm in it for the long haul. <laughs> and so um, we are working in uh, 48 cities. And uh, we have teams in those different cities that are all pushing towards uh, citywide movements. And then we are um, working inside of certain affinities. Let me just come back. Uh, that, that's around the world. So let me just come back to South Africa because it's, it, it, sometimes if I speak smaller, it's easier to get our heads around. Um, so in South Africa, we have several city catalysts in some of the main cities. And uh, those city catalysts are working with different affinities. And um, they basically raise up affinity champions. And it's the process I'm describing to you, Dave. They, they're looking for someone that, that God has been passionately burning on their heart, a certain group of people. And uh, they take them through a pretty robust system of testing. Is this something that God has been doing in this person's life? Or did they have too much pizza last night and they woke up this morning and said, I want to reach fishermen? Um, but if it's a, if it's something that's robust, it's deep and they have the character, the capacity and the competence and, and, and the spirituality to move forward, then that catalyst begins to invest in that person. And usually what we find is a person that has a deep burning passion and desire, but is deeply frustrated because they don't know how to unleash that to actually see that vision accomplished. And so we come alongside that. And the very first thing that we give them is a gift of faith. And the gift of faith is, it is possible. It, it is actually possible. This can be done. God is, God is big enough to do this. And, and we say that over and over in a multitude of ways. It's probably the biggest gift we can give people. This is possible. Keep going. This obstacle is not that bad. That one's not that bad. I've been through this one before. I've seen that one happen before. Don't worry. You can get past it. This is possible. The gift of faith is the biggest gift we can give to these leaders. Um, and, then, and then the tools and the tactics to begin to uh, implement. And one of the first things we do is help them move towards the brokenness. Now, there, there is a trap. There is a, a huge trap. And there are, are many uh, movements around the world that never, ever get past moving towards brokenness. And their whole significance is found in, you know, giving people bread and giving people food. Um, and it's a, it's a massive trap. And you constantly have to work against that, but you also can't disqualify it and say, let's just clinically give them the gospel. It doesn't work. And so uh, we begin to work with them and then very, very strongly um, bring disciple-making principles in. And very early we can see if this is someone that's just going to start a social work or someone that's, that's looking at, at meeting the brokenness and the lostness of this community. And we begin to journey with them. So a city catalyst in a, in a city journeys with those champions and helps them to begin to build movements into those affinities. But then at the same time, we build uh, affinities across cities. Because what we found is multiplication often happens faster in a single affinity across several cities than it does in a single city across several affinities. I'll pause for you to let your head, get your head around that one. So, so very often, um, if I'm trying to reach you know, bikers and housewives and businessmen and young people and all of these people in the same city, it, it's hard, it's difficult. But if I'm focused on reaching uh, young soccer players, and I take that, what I've learned in one city, and multiply across 10 cities, that can be a lot easier. And so we also build these affinity networks, and we help people to take what's working in one city and multiply it across several. 
And so in South Africa, we have three of those only at the moment. Um, one is business people and uh, helping uh, their business owners, entrepreneurs, helping uh, those leaders because those are people of influence. They employ a lot of people. And in, South, in the South African context, there's a lot of brokenness there. They really, really are struggling. Um, yeah, you, you probably will know that in Australia, you know, all our business people emigrate because it's so difficult here. And so there's, there's a real opportunity there. The other uh, affinity that is a, sort of a network across several cities is the townships. The, the best kind of um, equivalent to that would be urban slums. And, and so the poor that are in high-density environments in the, in the urban arena, um, there's huge opportunity there and huge openness. And so we have a, uh, in South Africa, the word Kasi is kind of a slang for that group of people. And so we have a Kasi network. And these are people working in these urban slum communities in several cities. And then the uh, third one is uh, young adults, uh, the age of between the age of eighteen to thirty-five, and so we have a a specific um, honed disciple-making approach to that group of people, and um, they also network across across the cities. So the, these three networks are kind of our network focuses across cities, but in many cities there are multitudes of other affinities that are emerging. They just haven't networked across the different cities. That's fantastic. Thank you, brother. David, as, as we come to the end of this second podcast, um, where um, uh, I know people who are listening to this are dreaming dreams and, and have things on their hearts from people uh, taking nations, um, people in central India taking tens of millions of people to people really focusing on on uh, uh, mums and children to uh, refugee communities and all kinds of uh, dreams that are there that are God placed and I'd just like to finish this um, this podcast by giving you the opportunity to just speak directly to those dreams and those people that are carrying those dreams and just to bring that word of faith, that word of encouragement, that word that that you feel like um, would bring hope and bring bring life and strength to to those those kind of guys that are carrying the dream and carrying that their God given um, deposit, as it were, that that is there for them. Yeah, I, you know, I'd say Dave, there's a lot of emphasis on uh, technique and tactic and tools and different methods in the movement world, um, I'd, I'd say don't let go of that dream that God's deposited in your heart. Because because the release of that is what causes movement, not the tools and the tactics and the, the methods. Those, those methods are there to guide and help you uh, do things effectively, but the energy, the impetus, the, the explosive move of God begins in the heart of a leader. And it's a deep work of the Spirit, dig deep. And um, if God put it there, no one can take it away. If God didn't put it there, no one can put it there. And so uh, I, I, my encouragement would be to dig deep. And, and you know, we take people through a process and, a, and it, it really is looking at their whole life story and saying, what has God been doing? What makes the calling of God in your life unique? 
and and what has God been doing? And, and that's the story of what God is doing in your life. Embrace that. And there's too much importing of movement tactics from other countries and moving things around. We've got to stop that, that practice. And, and when I sit with the leader, I don't start with, I've got to teach you the five methods. I start with, tell me the story of what God's done in your life. Because that's the secret in movement. And if we can find that and release it, we'll see movement. And then the methods and the tactics and the tools make sense. They, they're helpful. But the energy doesn't come from that. And I'd encourage you, secondly, dig deep in your own lot. But when you sit with another leader, dig deep into their hearts. Uh, don't impose what God has put on your heart onto them. Because that doesn't work either. They're not going to do it because you told them. They're going to do it because God deposited something in their hearts. Find those passions because in that lies the key, the energy to releasing movements.